We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, it's Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Kyle, how's July going for you? It's going well. I feel like uh, I haven't talked to you. We took last week off because you're traveling around and we're taking a little bit of a break with, with the slow time in the NFL season, but I feel like I haven't talked to you in six months. And realistically, it's been it's been a couple weeks. It feels like it's a lot has happened since since the last time we, we recorded that pod. Uh, we, we did a, a really interesting episode with Matt Mayoko earlier. I guess it was, was it. I guess. Yeah, it was at the end of June. And well, I couldn't even say earlier this month. It was it was last month. It's been that long. Now I'm uh, I'm traveling up and down the, the eastern corridor of the United States. I uh, started in New York, went to upstate New York, see some family. Now I'm in Connecticut and uh, going to Boston this weekend. So kind of running the gamut over here. This is two weeks is the longest vacation I think I've ever taken. Yeah, that's that's awesome, too, because I'm I'm right there with you. My vacations are usually like four to five days and they're sandwiched around a weekend or whatever. Getting two weeks off is is great, man. I'm, I'm glad you're, you're getting out, especially because the NFL season is like a such a 10 month grind. I'm glad you're actually taking advantage of it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the the one last thing I want to say there there's where I'm staying in Connecticut. Apparently, there are bears that run around here, and it's like very forested, like where I, where I'm where my friends live, where I'm staying right now. And I am dying to see a bear because a bear is like my favorite animal. And I saw a bear once camping in uh, in the Sierras a long, long time ago. So if if I stop recording this podcast and go find out from one of my friend's neighbors that a bear has been running around this afternoon, I might be a little bit upset. 
Okay, well, I will uh, I will do my best to make sure that we get out of here ASAP so you can go see a bear. Bear watch. Bear, bear watch 2019. <laughs> get into it. <laughs> I'll call Brian Perez, who does the Bears podcast for, for the Blue Wire Network, and I'll, uh, I'll see if he can get in touch with some bears for you. That's a good call. That's a good mascot joke. So there hasn't been a whole lot of news from from the 49ers standpoint during this this long break that we've had. Uh, But Jimmy Garoppolo did go on the record this week in a conference call promoting a suit drive for Men's Warehouse. And and he kind of confirmed what we all expected him to say or or what we all expected for the start of training camp. He's going to be fully cleared. There aren't going to be any restrictions on him. From a medical standpoint, following his ACL tear, he said, uh, quote, I really do, uh, thinking that he's going to be fully cleared. Uh, The rehab process has gone really well, knock on wood. We haven't had any setbacks. OTAs went went about as well as I could have hoped for. And now for training camp, hopefully we'll be a full go with the team drills and all that stuff. We're moving in the right direction. We've, We've got to keep going day by day and keep stacking them together. It's a long process, but we've come this far, so why stop now, right? End quote. So, Jimmy Garoppolo... I'm, I'm expecting him to be fully cleared for 11-on-11 11 drills. We saw him work basically the, the entire offseason program in 7-on-7s, seven and it was clear the 49ers were prioritizing Garoppolo's work over Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard, even though those two guys are healthy, because they really did more 7-on-7 seven seven work than 11-on-11s, than 11 which is a little bit different, but it makes sense given that Garoppolo is their starting quarterback. How, how big of a deal do you think it is? just to have Garoppolo healthy and, and ready to go when, when training camp kicks off July 26th. I think symbolically it's a pretty big deal. I'm I'm unsure that he'll play at all in the preseason, and really the thing that is getting circled is that September 8th opener against Tampa Bay. If he's healthy for that, that'll be the big deal when that's officially announced that he's going to be a go for week one. For now, though, symbolically, I think it's it's pretty huge because health is going to be such a – significant factor for San Francisco this year. They completely overhauled their training staff. They've been dealing with injuries in each of the two years under John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. And Garoppolo is is at the top of that list of the impact injuries had last year. He went out in week three and their season was effectively over. CJ Beathard played okay and Nick Mullins uh, played okay, but they're not going to the playoffs unless Garoppolo is under center and playing well. And I think he is going to be kind of the focal point when you look at the players returning from injury. Yeah, Jarek McKinnon matters and Quan Alexander is going to matter, but Jimmy Garoppolo is the guy, the figurehead of this kind of uh, group of returning players. And I think that that having him back for camp is a big deal. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think the next question I have is is what what is his workload going to be like in the preseason? Is he going to play at all in the preseason? Is he going to sit out maybe the first two games against the Cowboys and Broncos and then maybe play in the, the third preseason game, the quote-unquote dress rehearsal game? And actually, oddly enough, that one's in Kansas City where he suffered that injury last September. And I wouldn't expect him to play at all in, in the fourth preseason game against the Chargers. But how important is it going to be for Kyle Shanahan to see Jimmy Garoppolo in a game situation before week one? Is, is that going to be important at all? Is that going to be something that that Kyle Shanahan needs to see because it's just been so long since Garoppolo's been in that situation and since he's you know taken hits from from opposing teams because even if he is cleared or when he is cleared for eleven on eleven drills during training camp it's not like he's going to get lit up by any of his teammates so 
Uh, Andrew Luck talks about it all the time. He says he doesn't really feel like he's playing football until he takes a big hit from somebody. I, I don't imagine Jimmy Garoppolo operates the same way, but how important is that first stick going to be? And when is it going to come? Is it going to come in the preseason or is it going to come week one? And how adjusted is he going to be? Is it, is it going to totally throw him off his game? Is he going to, you know, be out of sorts because it's been almost a year since he actually took a hit and got hit by a defender. So that that's one thing we'll, we'll find out when training camp sort of begins. And, and I'm, I'd imagine Kyle Shanahan won't outline his plans uh, too thoroughly, at least for the first week of camp. Maybe as we get closer to that first preseason game against Dallas, we'll have a better idea. But I would imagine that he's not going to play in that Cowboys game. Uh, the 49ers are going to have a couple of training camp practices in Denver with the Broncos that I imagine Garoppolo will will get a lot of playing time in. But is he going to play in that Monday night football game? I don't. I it, I mean, if he does, it wouldn't. It probably wouldn't be more than a series or two. And then really that that third preseason game against the Chiefs is, is going to be interesting from Garoppolo's standpoint just because it's back to where he got hurt. It's the same, same stadium. And how much work is he going to need bef- before the regular season starts? It wouldn't shock me to see him play a series or two in that third preseason game where typically we see guys play an entire half, maybe even three quarters. I would imagine if he's ready to go, if he's fully healthy, they're, they're, they're like if it was a regular season game, he could play. I I imagine he gets at least a couple series because I think they will want to get him in that rhythm and will get him in kind of that flow of of a game day, getting out and warming up, you know, taking the field for the first time, orchestrating the offense against an opposing defense. Uh, That's the max work that I I think they probably need from him, though. I, I, I can't fathom that they'd want more than that. Yeah, so we still don't know about the other injured guys like you mentioned earlier. Uh, we don't know if Jarek McKinnon's going to start camp on an injured list. We're still waiting for for a timeline on Quan Alexander, although the coaching staff indicated at the end of the offseason program that he would presumably be ready or at least close to ready for the start of training camp. I think Fred Warner, Weston Richburg, DJ Reed, uh, Richard Sherman, Malcolm Smith, all those guys who – had been dealing with stuff throughout the offseason program. I think they, they should be cleared to go. Uh, I'm curious to see Jalen Hurd back in the mix. He obviously, the, the rookie receiver and former running back from, from Tennessee and Baylor. I'm curious to see how he's ingratiated early on. So, I mean, the, the injuries, as they were such a huge topic of discussion throughout the offseason program, they're, they're going to be an equally big discussion at the start of training camp because – you know, how are these guys going to be worked back? And they're all, you know, I'd imagine a bunch of them are going to be coming back at, at, at different paces. You know, Quan Alexander is obviously the big name that they that they acquired in the offseason who was hurt. So we don't know yet. And and we'll have a better idea when, when we first speak with, with Kyle Shanahan. I believe it's going to be July 26. But shifting gears a little bit, I, I got, I, I try not to do this, but I, I sort of got into a debate with people on Twitter over Kyle Juszczyk's contract, and and this continues to to be a subject of, of debate. And and Bill Barnwell of ESPN ranked Juszczyk's contract uh, as the most what did he say? It was a, the most outlier deal in the NFL, in just in terms of context compared you know compared to other fullbacks and, and the position. And look, it's a lot of money. Kyle Juszczyk makes you know five and a quarter million a year. It was a four-year deal that included $9 million in guarantees, and he's far and away the, the most highly paid fullback. And I think you and I agree on this in that, one, 
like, first of all, Kyle, Kyle Juszczyk, his contract doesn't matter. Like in the grand scheme of things, I think his contract is talked about like he's like he's a quarterback making $30 million a year where really he's making five and a quarter on average. And it's just it's middling tight end money. I think it would rank 16th or 17th among tight ends in the NFL. And and I, I just want to bring this up because it's something people love to talk about during during the slow portion of the offseason program. And I think it's important to to look at it in the right context, because first of all, the 49ers use two running backs more than any other team in the league. Uh, the second highest is the Patriots. Kyle Juszczyk obviously leads fullbacks and snaps played. And the 49ers use play action. I, I want to say they're around 25%, or at least during Nick Mullen's starts, they use play action 25% of the time. And Kyle Juszczyk being valuable as a blocker in the, in the running game and as a pass catcher in the passing game is a big part of that. And when you have somebody on the field 60% of the time, as Juszczyk is, He's a valuable piece of the offense, regardless of what other fullbacks in the league are getting paid or what they do. Kyle Shanahan talks about it a lot. He he values the fullback because he dictates to the defense what what is going to happen on the field or on, on any given play. It's not the other way around. Uh, what he can do with a fullback is he can run the ball, or if he sees a certain look, he can set somebody out wide and pass the ball and, and use check can, can either run routes and, and be a matchup problems for linebackers and defensive backs, or he could stay in and, and work in pass protection, allowing a running back to, to go out and run a route as one of the five eligible receivers. So where are you at in terms of Kyle Juszczyk's value to the 49ers offense and just the, the value of his contract relative to, to all the discussion that it generates during the off season? Well, I know it would make for a much more, interesting podcast if I had disagreements with you, but I really don't. Just to get some specific numbers, the 49ers ran 12 uh, 21 personnel. That's two running backs, one tight end. 42% of the time last season, the Patriots ran it uh, 28% of the time. Nobody else ran it more than 15%. And the reason they're able to do that is because Juszczyk can also give with that 21 personnel, he can also give him a 12 personnel look with run, one running back and two tight ends. And that messes with what defense are trying defenses are going to do game plan wise. If the 49ers run a traditional 12 personnel package out, a defense tends to know, okay, do they run this many plays out of 12 personnel? So we're going to send this defense out. But when you have a player like Juszczyk, who's super versatile it makes it more difficult for the defense to predict what you're going to do. And that's such a huge piece of what Kyle Shanahan does on offense. And Bill Barnwell's piece to, to his credit points out all these numbers that show why Kyle Juszczyk isn't necessarily worth financially worth statistically the giant outlier contract that he has. Cause I think he makes like more than double the next highest paid tight end or fullback. But the fact of the matter is, is the Niners aren't up against the cap. And if Kyle Juszczyk was tight end two instead of fullback one, nobody would bat an eye. And that's effectively what he is. He's a backup tight end. And he makes right about backup tight end money. And if any 49ers fan is losing sleep (laughs) over Kyle Juszczyk's tight end contract, you can relax a little bit because it's fine. 
Right, just with how reliant they are on those multiple running back sets, like you mentioned, and play action and, and doing all those things. Like the, the fullback is unique in Kyle Shanahan's offense to the rest of the league, which is why the 49ers made Kyle Juszczyk a uniquely paid player. Right, I think mm-hmm. that's the best way I could say it. They, they value the fullback more than other teams. So yeah, if you're going to look at the rest of the league – and say Kyle Juszczyk isn't worth more than double of the other tight ends. Well, he's – or the other fullbacks, he's playing double or, or just about double what those guys are playing, and he's doing it at a high, at a high level. I don't, I don't think there's any doubt that Kyle Juszczyk is the best fullback in football. And so, like I said, he's – like you said, he's, he's versatile. He can block in the running game. He can pass protect. He can run routes. He can play special teams, which is obviously much less important. But I just don't think Kyle Juszczyk's contract is really worth being worried about because it hasn't prevented the 49ers from having financial flexibility. It's not like, oh, the 49ers have missed out on paying guys because of Kyle Juszczyk's $21 million contract over four years. It's like the Niners have given out a lot of big deals. They paid Quan Alexander a lot of money. They paid Jarek McKinnon a lot of money. They paid Weston Richburg. They paid Jimmy Garoppolo. They, you know, they're going to be able to pay DeForest Buckner and George Kittle on their second contracts when their extensions come up. So I, I don't see why why it's worth. I mean, I, I I just don't see why it's this point of contention for for people like oh the Niners are making a big giant mistake by paying Kyle Juszczyk this this money. I, I think. I think it's worth it for them based on based on what he gives them. So I don't, I don't want to spend too much more time on that, but if you have any thoughts, shoot it, go for it. I have two last things. One, I think it's good for them because free agency wise, teams are going to uh, players are going to look toward the 49ers if they know, hey, the Niners, the Niners pay the guys they want. And getting those opportunities in free agency could could be a pretty significant deal. The other thing is is I look at Use checks contract is more of a testament to the 49ers ability to manipulate the salary cap in their favor and their ability to, to structure contracts in a way that allows them to pay Kyle use check five, $6 million a year as a, as a fullback without hamstringing themselves. So that's the lens through which I view Kyle use checks contract I just I really don't think it's it's worth worrying about because the Niners are financially fine and use check contributes. Like that's it. That's the end of it. Totally agree. Hey Kyle. Hey Chris. When, when you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. It's what it's it's the the biggest pain. <laughs> that's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website. ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Candlestick Chronicles listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customers. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com and click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in 
BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. This is Mike McGlinchey of the San Francisco 49ers, and you're listening to the Candlestick Chronicles. All right, well, since we are in the slowest portion of the offseason and we still have a couple weeks left till training camp, I thought we'd do something a little bit different and, and rank the 49ers five best position groups just because it, it offers us a chance to sort of look at the strengths and weaknesses of the team, uh, look at the context of, of the roster and sort of the team building that the 49ers have, have gone through these last few years. And uh, I, I, I want to start with number five, but I do want to say first that we didn't put quarterback in this group because it's not really a position group in, in the same way that that these other positions are. I mean, there, there's going to be one quarterback, ideally, playing the entire year. So uh, how how Jimmy Garoppolo plays relative to, to the rest of the team, I think it doesn't really factor into this discussion. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo is the 49ers' most important player. Um, and when he's playing at his best, he's probably one of their best players. But we're, we're going to exclude quarterback from this conversation just because it doesn't really fall in line with sort of how we're looking at things. So to number five, to, to start it off, I went with receiver. And, and the reason why I think receiver is the, the 49ers' fifth best position group right now is because you have a lot of young players, some highly drafted players, and some players with a lot of upside, uh, but they haven't done it yet. And, and I think this year is going to be – I mean, this might be the best receiving core the 49ers have had in some time. I, I think 2014, the Niners had a really good one. Uh, I, but it wasn't, it didn't end up playing out that way. You had, you know, they brought in Stevie Johnson to join Michael Crabtree and Anquan Bolden. And it seemed like it would be an incredibly deep group. Uh, you also had Brandon Lloyd in that mix, but since then the 49ers receiving cores just have not been very good. And, and you look at Dante Pettis, a second round pick a year ago, Debo Samuel, a high second round pick this year. Um, you have Marquise Goodwin, Trent Taylor, Kendrick Bourne, third-round pick Jalen Hurd, uh, the veteran Jordan Matthews, who got off to a really good start of to his career with, with Philadelphia and has bounced around a little bit since. And then somebody like Richie James Jr., who's you know going to be right on the fringe of, of battling for a roster spot, but is also somebody who you've seen play in the slot. He had a, a really important special teams uh, kickoff return touchdown last year that, that ultimately – was huge in, in helping them win that game over the Seahawks last year. So I, I think there's a lot of upside with this receiving core, particularly with Kyle Shanahan's offense. And and I think this group is sort of going to evolve into what Kyle Shanahan's been, been building towards these last few years. And, and I think in a year or two, we might be talking about the 49ers receivers as arguably their best position group, just in terms of depth, if Pettis and Samuel – end up being as good as, as a lot of us think they can be. Yeah, I agree with you. I have them, I have them right around that number five spot too at this point, just because there is so much unproven talent there. Marquise Goodwin was really good in 2017, but last year battled injuries and, and wasn't as good. Is there another level that Kendrick Bourne can get to? Can Kendrick Bourne be a productive a fourth or fifth receiver in a deep receiving core? Does Jordan Matthews get back to the form that he was at when he was averaging over 800 yards a year for his first three seasons? Uh, you mentioned Dante Pettis. Was that four-week stretch uh, between weeks like 12 and 16 last year, 
was that what we're going to see for 16 games? And then Debo Samuel, uh, highly drafted player uh, from South Carolina, Trent Taylor, is he going to be healthy? Uh, and can he build on a really strong rookie year in 2017? To your point about the Niners receivers, I want to look this up real quick. They haven't had a thousand yard receiver since since the start of the 2015 season. Marquise Goodwin got close in 2017 at 962 yards, but they've only had five receivers since 2015. So that's 15, 16, 17, four years. They've had five receivers eclipse 500 yards for a season. Not good. Not great, including none in 2018. Yeah, that's wild. And it could be that they don't have a thousand yard receiver this year. That wouldn't really surprise me. But it wouldn't surprise me if they had, you know, if Pettis and, and Samuel both both had like seven or eight hundred yards receiving. Yeah, and that's that's I think really when this offense is gonna be rolling at its peak is you have George Kittle producing like he produces, and then you're getting regular contributions from Samuel Pettis, uh, a bunch of the guys I mentioned. I think I think there's enough talent here where they just have a really solid, deep group without having that number one Julio Jones, Antonio Brown type. Yeah, and Kyle Shanahan's talked about there isn't really... He he doesn't look at it like, okay, who's my number one guy? Who's my number two guy? He just sort of trots guys out at different positions based on different looks. The defense is giving him a different matchups, things like that. And who's ever the, the most viable target on any given play is going to be the first read, right? And maybe that's something you say to the media when you don't have a superstar like Julio Jones. Maybe maybe that's just, you know, without a clear number one, he'll say, you know, oh, I don't I don't want to have a clear number one. I, I just want to, uh, you know, see who's best on any given play. Or, or, I mean, maybe that's just really how he feels. But, yeah, I, I think you and I both agree that there's a lot of upside with this receiving core. And uh, and I'm really curious to see how it how it shakes out this year, because even somebody like Trent Taylor, you know, the injury, the back injury and the back surgery from May 2018 was was obviously a big deal for him. And he didn't return to the player he was in 2017. And by all accounts, he's back to to that form from his rookie year, his pre-injury form. And now he's working with Wes Welker, who I don't know if you know this, Kyle, but was sort of a similar player to what the 49ers want Trent Taylor to be as a, as a shifty slot receiver. Can you, can you re- really? <laughs> yeah. Cause that's not, that's not necessarily the first comparison that pops into my head. Can you elaborate? Well, I think they're both really gritty. Um, they both watch a ton of film and, uh, and I think they both sort of punch above their weight just in terms of uh, they play bigger than their size and have a, have yeah. a bigger impact on on the game than maybe their frames would would allow, if that. Makes sense. Yeah, just a couple of coaches' dreams, <laughs> I guess. Uh, so let's go to number four in our rankings. I went with the offensive line, and I, I think the Niners' offensive line could take a significant jump this year. Uh, I think Weston Richburg's injury that he suffered in Week Four against the Chargers really was the the stem of, of him not being as as good as the 49ers were hoping he would have been. He basically played on a knee and quad injury all year that required surgery that has kept him out for the better part of the last six months. The 49ers paid Richburg like one of the highest paid centers in the league. It was a five-year, $47.5 million deal last offseason. And the thing about that is it's basically the same contract the Falcons gave Alex Mack when he signed there a few years ago when Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta. 
So the 49ers obviously have very, very high hopes for Weston Richburg, and they think he can be one of maybe the five best centers in the league. He clearly wasn't last year, and I think a lot of that was because he struggled in pass protection because he couldn't really anchor uh, on on his injured leg. So with Richburg, uh, with Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey, uh, I mean, you might have one of the best five, you know, I think Staley and McGlinchey could be one of the best five combinations of tackles in the league. I think McGlinchey played really well as a rookie, and I'd imagine he, you know, his expectation should be Pro Bowl uh, or, or or better. Yeah. He, he could make an all-pro team. I, I think that highly of Mike McGlinchey um, just from a mindset standpoint and and his physical tools and, and everything like that. I think he's built for the league, uh, and he's incredibly durable. I just think McGlinchey entering his second season having – spent the spring working on football stuff instead of, you know, combine stuff and, and track events, essentially. Uh, I think McGlinchey yeah. could take a big leap in year two. And if he does, he would, he would become one of the better right tackles in the league. And, uh, and if, and if that happens in, in addition to, you know, Weston Richburg being healthy, uh, Lake and Tomlinson coming back, he, he played really well last year. I know he's coming back from an MCL tear, but he looked healthy at the end of the offseason program. I think there's there's a lot of upside with this offensive line. Uh, if it improves in pass protection and if the 49ers quarterbacks, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo or anybody else, gets rid of the ball faster, I think we could look at this offensive line as one of the better offensive lines in the NFC, particularly if the 49ers are able to run the ball like we think they'll be able to with their new group of running backs. Because I think the strength of the offensive line was, it was pretty clear last year was in the running game. And so if they improve in pass protection, it could be, it could be big for the offense. So I hear all your arguments there and I'm, I'm inclined to agree with most of them. The flip side to this is that group is not very deep. And if Lakin Tomlinson takes any kind of step back or if Weston Richburg only sees a minimal improvement with a healthy year or if Mike Person takes a step back, this group suddenly finds themselves in a little bit of trouble. So I agree the upside is is all there, um, especially with Tomlinson still being relatively young, getting another full year in the offense. All the things you said about McGlinchey, um, I'm very inclined to agree that this offensive line could be really good. I think the group of linebackers gets an honorable mention here with Fred Warner in the middle um, alongside Quan Alexander, hopefully once once he's back healthy, and then either uh, Elijah Lee or Dre Greenlaw or whoever winds up at that third linebacker spot. I think that's going to be a really athletic, very fast group who dominates in coverage this year and, and really shines. So uh, I'm going to give them an honorable mention, but I, I have a hard time kicking out the offensive line from, from that list. Yeah. Well, the one thing we should say about the offensive line is that the right guard spot might not be completely nailed down yet. So maybe that changes. Yeah. Uh, I, I would be inclined to think Mike person wins that job again, like he did last year, unless Josh Garnett takes considerable steps or somebody like Ben Garland comes in and beats him out. But I, I do think there's there's a little bit more depth along the interior of the offensive line this year. Like like I mentioned, Ben Garland is somebody who's played center throughout the offseason yeah. program and is familiar with Kyle Shanahan's offense after playing under him in Atlanta. And you have 
you know, guys like Eric Magnuson and Wesley Johnson, you know, who, who are a little bit more, who are going to be a little bit more experienced at this point. But um, yeah, I'm with you on the linebackers. So the reason why I didn't include the linebackers, I certainly think they have the talent to be one of the top five groups on, on this list, but we just haven't seen it. You know, like we, we know Fred Warner had a really good rookie year. I, I really don't know what to expect from, from Quan Alexander. I think that was one of the more, I guess, head-scratching signings that they made. Not not that I disagree with his fit in the defense and, and his skill set and all of that, but just the injury history and the contract they gave him. And I am very high on Drake Greenlaw, particularly as a fifth-round draft pick, but you know, we, we haven't seen him with pads on yet. And and he's not a he's not the biggest guy, but athletically, like you said, he's he should be really good in coverage and he and he should be plenty fast. But physicality is such a huge part of that position and, and I just don't know what it looks like yet with those three guys because we haven't seen them on the practice field. So let's go to number three. I went with running back. And this is mostly a commentary on the overall depth of the position. We talked about Kyle Juszczyk at fullback uh, and, and, you know, obviously he's in that group, but just Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, Jarek McKinnon, Raheem Mostert. I mean, that could be a really, really good group if everybody stays healthy and it could allow Kyle Shanahan to get really creative with the things he likes to do with his running backs, whether it's running outside zone or whether it's splitting Jarek McKinnon out wide to where, you know, he's used as a slot receiver or he takes a, a linebacker out of the box in man coverage and splits them out wide and, you know, creates a huge, huge mismatch that way. Uh, play action is such a, a crucial element of Kyle Shanahan's offense and uni- using running backs in the passing game is also a huge element to what he wants to do that, that I think if everybody stays healthy, you look at all these you know, these guys are all really fast. They're all sub 4-4. Four, four. I just think the running back group as constituted, if it's healthy, could be could be a really, really important group for the 49ers this year. I think the depth of the running back group might wind up moving them to like the top of this list by the end of the year. It wouldn't surprise me if they have three reliable like home run hitter types. Well, I mean, they do, but it wouldn't surprise me if all those guys play well uh, between McKinnon and Brita and Coleman. Just the, the, you mentioned the versatility there, the the fact that if they're hit with the injury bug at, at running back again, they have three guys capable of carrying the load and being the lead back without really losing anything in the offense. Those are pretty interchangeable parts. I I think that's going to be a really good group. I actually would probably bump them up to number two right now and move our number two back to number three. Okay. But again, there's, there, there are question marks with what's McKinnon going to look like post ACL. Can Matt Breida stay healthy and replicate what he did last year? And then how does Tevin Coleman look? Uh, if if he sees an increased role. I think he's been really consistent throughout his career, but with a new scenery change, with new personnel around him, how does he operate? And can he maintain that level of production that he saw in Atlanta? Yeah, you have Matt Breida. Some, he, even despite having an ankle injury seemingly the entire year, he still averaged 5.3 yards per carry. Uh, Raheem Mostert, very limited snaps. I know he had 34 carries, but he averaged 7.7 yards per carry. If he's your fourth halfback on the roster and somebody who's going to really be, you know, arguably one of the best special teamers in the entire league, 
I think that's that's really good for you. And and you know, I know we didn't get to see Jarek McKinnon last year, but just watching him in training camp before he got hurt, and I I know I've said this before, but he was really the fulcrum of of the offense of what the 49ers were trying to do, whether it was using him in the screen game, using him obviously as a, in in runs and outside zone, using him out wide and and as a matchup issue for for linebackers and safeties. McKinnon was going to be a, a very integral player in, in that offense last year. And I, w- I, I would argue to this day that losing him to injury w- played, a, played a big role in Jimmy Garoppolo really not looking quite as good as he did in 2017 uh, early in those three games last season because the 49ers simply couldn't replicate McKinnon's skill set with anybody else because he was such an important piece of what they were trying to do. And that's why they gave him that contract that they did. So Having McKinnon back, if if he's ninety percent or ninety five percent of what he was, I think that w- that could be really big for them. You remember he's he's one of the most athletic running backs in the league uh, before the injury. Um, I know the stats didn't really bear all this out in Minnesota, but uh, Kyle Shanahan has been so good at evaluating running backs in the past that you you just look at that athleticism athleticism and skill set and say, you know. That has to play in, in Shanahan's offense. That's the reason why Shanahan wanted him so badly. So, yeah, if McKinnon's yeah. back on top of Tevin Coleman, who was a touchdown scoring machine last year, who had over a thousand yards from scrimmage, uh, I think the Niners' running back group is is could be really really good if everybody stays healthy. And like the rest of the team, I mean, health is is obviously the biggest question mark. Yeah. Uh, number two, I went with tight end. And this is largely because the 49ers have arguably the best tight end in football in George Kittle. And he set an NFL record with 1,363 yards from receiving last year. And I wouldn't expect him to replicate that. I think uh, it would be really difficult for Kittle to even get to 1,000 yards this year just because defenses are going to key on him. And I think the 49ers are going to try to get their receivers more involved too. But just based on how good Kittle is in in both the passing game and the running game and the fact that he's going to play so much, uh, I know the 49ers don't really have an ideal number two option. I think they'd love to see Caden Smith in that role long term. Garrett Selleck is still working from working back from a back injury and we might not see him until the middle of August. And on and I've said it before, but I don't really think that bodes very well for his chances at making the roster given he's. And given he's entering the last year of his contract and the 49ers did bring in Caden Smith in the sixth round and Levine Toilolo uh, in free agency. But just just on the strength of Kittle and how good he is as, as one of the two or three best tight ends in the NFL, I, I have to put tight end as the number two position on this group. I, I think that's fair. I think their depth will be better this year. Last season, Kittle had 88 receptions. Niners tight ends total had 95. <laughs> Garrett Selleck. Garrett Selleck had five catches. Ross Dwelly had two. I think they, they'll get a little more production out of those reserve tight end spots this year, especially down in the red zone. Caden Smith, uh, really good in the red zone. Uh, Levine Toilolo is 6'8". He's a big red zone target. If either of them stick around, I could I could see the Niners reserve tight ends scoring a few more touchdowns this year. They Selleck had two touchdowns and his five receptions. It's so easy to lose that second tight end with all these bodies moving around on the 49ers offense. So I, I think they'll get more production there. And with Kittle at the top, he may not break his own receiving yards record this year, 
but he's still going to be a super productive player. He's he's just really really good. So, like I said, I I I might argue to swap tight end and running back just due to depth. But uh, at the top of the depth chart, there there's no arguing that that Kittle is arguably the best player on the Niners roster. Yeah, I think aside from from Jimmy Garoppolo, I think Kittle's the most indispensable player on offense. And yep. I don't think it's particularly yep, close. I think so. Just yeah. because of what he does in in both the run and the pass and how dynamic he is and the matchup issue he provides. Um, I think I think there are going to be a lot of catches made because Kittle is drawing attention in the middle of the field from from multiple players. So yeah. you send Kittle on one route and then you, you know, send Jarek McKinnon out of the backfield underneath vacating that space that Kittle cleared out. And I think there are going to be a lot of plays like that where, where the 49ers get some, get some big gains. So number one on our 49ers position rankings, uh, it's a defensive line. And it's, I, I guess what's interesting about this is it's the only position on our rankings that's, that's on the defensive side of the ball. I know we made the case. Uh, speak for yourself, my linebacker. Yeah. Player. Linebackers, linebackers could be in there. It won't surprise me. Let's put it this way: it won't surprise me if we look at linebacker at the end of the year, like in the four, three or four range. Yeah. But the defensive line, I mean, DeForest Buckner, D Ford, Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas. Uh, it has the makings of of being a very, very good group. Uh, we haven't seen it yet. It's still, it's still a relatively young group. There are still questions about. D Ford's durability. I know he played over a thousand snaps last year and he was arguably, you know, one of the best defensive ends in football last year, but we haven't seen it from him in back-to-back seasons throughout his career yet. So we we're still waiting for that. We're still waiting to see if Nick Bosa can, can be healthy for a prolonged stretch. If he, if he does, I think he, he has the highest upside of, of any 49ers defensive lineman. Uh, you just look at you know maybe one through six, however many defensive linemen they end up keeping. I know they're gonna they're gonna rotate at least six guys in regularly. It's the strength of the team, and it's pretty clear. And if the defensive line isn't one of the three or four best defensive lines in football, then I think the 49ers are gonna have a really hard time being in contention for for a playoff spot because their defense, the way they've constructed their defense, is is around that pass rush. It, it, everything is contingent on the pass rush being good because, you know, we talked about it a lot this offseason, the fact that they didn't really make significant investments in the secondary. Their best cornerback, Richard Sherman, is 31. You know, two years removed now from from an Achilles tear. He's not what he was physically. He's still very good. Akella Witherspoon is unproven and has been a roller coaster, really, for, throughout his first two seasons. And you look at the rest of the group, and there isn't really much – to feel confident about in terms of the secondary. So the 49ers are banking on the defensive line really dominating opposing offensive lines to make life a lot easier on the secondary. That's what they need to happen. Otherwise, the defense simply isn't going to be very good. Yep. I don't really have a lot to add to that. They need to rush the passer. It's going to have a trickle-down effect to their entire defense. And I think that the way they went about constructing the rest of their defense this year is based upon the defensive line's ability to make a difference. And if they can't, it's it's going to be really, really tough for San Francisco to stop people. So I think the depth is there. We saw the Eagles win a Super Bowl a couple years ago 
thanks to a super deep defensive line. I think the Niners are trying to replicate that and they have the personnel to. It's just a matter of can Eric Armstead in, in a contract year take a step forward? Can Solomon Thomas take that step forward in year three? If if they get more production out of those guys, this is going to be a very, very good group. Yeah, and the future of the group is also going to be really interesting because you have DeForest Buckner due for a new contract. You have Eric Armstead entering the final year of his contract. So is he going to play well enough to, to stick around? Or is he going to be playing elsewhere? Uh, is Solomon Thomas going to solidify himself as somebody who you keep around long term? Or do you consider maybe moving on or trading him? Because next offseason, you're going to have to think about his fifth year option. And if, you know, that's that's going to be a pretty significant number as a number three overall pick in 2017. Are you going to pay him that on that fifth year option if he struggles like he did last season where, um, you know, he really was was kind of a non-factor. But I, I'm expecting Thomas to be drastically improved this year. I think having two defensive ends in Bosa and Ford, two natural 4-3 defensive ends, allowing you to play Thomas inside at, you know, at one of the defensive tackle spots should be, should be a lot better for him. So uh, I think that's all we got today. Uh, I think I'm going to go hang out on my friend's back deck and – Hope that this bear shows up because I really want to see it. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And uh, Kyle, if you don't have anything to add, I think we'll wrap this thing up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get out of here. Go go find yourself a bear. All right. <laughs> Bet. A lot of people will take that the wrong way. And I'm, I'm going to push back against, against the joke you just made. Um, <laughs> but with that, we're going to wrap this up. We will uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Candlestick Chronicles and, uh, and all the other podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. We'll talk to you guys soon. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.